Hi, I'm Tor, and I'm here to share secrets. Today, I'm sharing secrets with Charlie Lee, the creator of Litecoin. I'm super excited to talk to Charlie because he has seen more than almost anybody else in the space, has been in the space longer than almost anybody else. Litecoin being the digital silver to Bitcoin's digital gold, it has been a part of the public narrative around cryptocurrencies since the very early stages. Charlie was also one of the early employees at Coinbase. He worked at Google. He's an MIT grad. Very smart guy, but also very humble. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about his experience with Litecoin and what Litecoin is doing now that's very relevant to privacy in particular. Uh, they're implementing Mimblewimble on the protocol via MWeb. So we're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to talk about what he's learned, what he thinks he's timed well in his life, and what he's timed poorly. And at the end, Charlie actually has one question for me. Uh, so that was pretty fun. I really enjoyed this conversation with Charlie. Just a brilliant guy, very generous with his time. I hope you enjoy the conversation as well. So without any further introduction, here is Charlie Lee. Charlie, thank you for agreeing to share some secrets with me. I am thrilled to talk to you today. Hey, Tor. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning with a question that I ask all my guests, although this one might be less necessary for you than others. Who are you? Um, and, and this doesn't have to be the answer the answer that you give for like panels and keynotes. It can be if you want, but you can make it the dinner party answer. Like, how, how do you introduce yourself these days when you want people to understand who, who you are? Who is Charlie Lee? Hmm. That's a good question. So um, I guess I'm in the crypto space for about nine years now. I got in in early 2011 and I guess never looked back. Um, in late 2011, I created Litecoin, um, launched it um, as an alternative currency to Bitcoin, silver to Bitcoin's gold. Um, in 2013, I decided to go all in on crypto by uh, leaving my cushy job at Google to join Coinbase as the second engineer. And I was there until 2017. I was director of engineering there. And then um, since 2017, I've been focusing on Litecoin, back on Litecoin, and I've been doing that ever since. I'm now managing director of the Litecoin Foundation. So I guess that's the the summary of my my uh, involvement in this space. Where you win out is obviously on longevity. Very few people can say that they have worked uh, full time or or at all in, in the crypto space as long as you have. So you've probably seen a lot of stuff you've learned a lot of secrets and that's why you're here uh we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about litecoin specifically and especially uh around the privacy initiatives that are now coming to litecoin with i which i'm personally very interested in um but i'm gonna start with a much more general question which is since you've been in the space now for nearly a decade which is about as long as anybody can have been working in the cryptocurrency space what would you say is is the biggest and the most important secret that you've learned that maybe like 95% of people who are now in the space, you know, after all these years, they don't know this, but they really, really should. And it's something that maybe you've learned once or over and over again. I think one of the kind of the main things I've learned is that um, like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, it's not like an investment. It's more about like the new way of thinking about money, right? So... A lot of people get into the space, they buy into Bitcoin. And sadly, like most people get in like at the high, right? Because that's when like CNBC, CNN, they're all talking about Bitcoin, about 
the price is so high. And that's when like 90% of people hear about it. And that's when they get in. And then after they get in, um, it tends to, to crash like 80%. The price tends to crash 80%. And those people who got in at the high, they get scared and they, they actually leave this, they sell their coins because they get scared, right? And that's just unfortunate because they, um, they basically bought high and sold low, right? Exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. Um, and that's why there's this mentality of the hodl mentality in this community, right? You shouldn't, you should buy and hold your coins and don't be scared by like news, right? Don't try to trade and beat the market. Um, just hold it long-term. And I think that's one of the secrets, although it's kind of like everyone talks about it. I don't think many people actually really understand it, right? You, you buy into your crypto and you're, you should, it's actually just money, right? It's not, um, it's not an investment. You're, it's a it's a store of value. It's where you should keep your money because it's the best store of value, best form of currency, best form of money out there right now. And you don't have to worry about the price conversion to to fiat because at the end of the day, um, you will not have to convert back to fiat, right? You will actually spend crypto like real money. There's this um, meme that's really popular out there with. Um, Matrix, Keanu Reeves, like Neo character and, and Morpheus, where, um, if I remember correctly, uh, uh, Neo asked Morpheus, um, so you're, you're telling me at the, by, by then I can sell this for millions. And Morpheus says, no, by the time Bitcoin succeeds, you don't have to convert back to fiat. And I think this is, that's like a very important thing people should realize. I think that's becoming the narrative again more and more, and, and we've seen a lot of uh, major corporations supporting that narrative, individuals supporting that narrative, historically great investors helping to support that narrative. And it's very concentrated around the Bitcoin narrative in particular, Bitcoin being a very, very unique cryptocurrency. But as you know, there are many, many others. There there weren't as many others when Litecoin was created, but now there there are thousands or even tens of thousands and there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this and say, well, okay, but I'm not a maximalist. There's value to all these other coins too. Those coins don't really have the same narrative. Do you do you think there's value then in still being interested in all of these like long tail of cryptocurrencies and experimenting and seeing what, what this can mean to, again, expanding what's possible, combining the digital world and the financial world? Uh, and do you think the HODL mentality is the correct mentality in those ecosystems, or is HODL very specific to Bitcoin in particular? Um, Bitcoin is, I consider it the reserve currency of crypto, right? The crypto reserve currency. Um, so everything is priced against Bitcoin, I think, and that's that's fair. Um, I think only in the end only a few currencies will compete for kind of the the money space i believe bitcoin and litecoin will be uh two of the few currencies that do but there won't be like thousands of currencies where you're going to be storing your 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 value in in those as money right there will be coins that are um useful for things possibly for some utility but they you won't be storing them you won't you won't be storing your wealth in them right and that's fine and that's I think it's fine to explore and and play around with those, but in, and you probably want to decide which currencies you want to store your money in.
I think I agree with that perspective. And, and thankfully, like not every cryptocurrency is trying to be a money, trying to be a store of value. I think the ones that are successful are the ones that have aligned their utility, uh, you know, at a technical level with the narrative, with with its actual perception. And, and so Bitcoin has succeeded. I would say Litecoin has succeeded and we'll see which others continue to succeed. Um, so to get back to your point around HODL and, and around the idea that like maybe you can or can't time the markets. Um, historically, the right thing to do with Bitcoin is not to try to time the markets. You dollar cost average, you become a long-term holder, and, and now you're bought into this alternate version of money that seems to be much more grounded, uh, especially in the context of a digital first future. So it seems that timing is a really big secret to success, or you know the, uh, or at least people's ability to resist trying to time things. So when it comes to the cryptocurrency space, let's let's take a personal perspective for a second. What is something that you think that you personally, uh, we'll take three questions here and we can answer them in whatever order. What is something that you think you timed perfectly? What's something that you think you were too early on? And what's something that maybe you were just a little bit too late on? No one's perfect all the time. So I'm curious what your perspective are on those three questions, which are really just one question. So the the thing I timed perfectly um, was just through sheer luck. It was um, 2017, late 2017, when I decided to to basically sell and get rid of all my Litecoins that I bought um, early on because I, I felt like there was a conflict. Um, I was being... I was becoming very influential in the space and I didn't want my kind of my tweets and stuff to, to move the price and, and cause a conflict where I would want to move the price up just because it helps me financially. So I decided to sell my Litecoins and to work, focus on working on Litecoin, but not hold or invest in it. And that turned out to be at the near the peak of the whole bull market of, of crypto. And so in hindsight, it was perfect timing, um, but it was it was just luck. Um, something that I was early on, I would say it's when I was at Coinbase, we in 2013, 2014, we made a big push for, for merchant adoption. We signed up like Overstock and a lot of different big companies, big names in the space and supported like supporting um, accepting Bitcoin for those companies. And it was huge news back then, but I felt like that was that was a bit early because Bitcoin was still in kind of the investment speculative phase. I mean, it still kind of is in the speculative phase. And today we're seeing more, more of a shift towards kind of spending it retail with like Lightning Network and stuff. But back then in 2014, it was, it was way too early. And then lastly, something that I'm late on, I don't think I was late on much because I, I got into this space so early. But the surprising thing is when I actually got into this space in 2011, I thought I was late, right? Because Bitcoin has been out already since 20, uh, 2009. So it's, I'm like two years late, right? So I thought, damn, I, I missed the boat because Bitcoin, when I got in, it was already at $30. And a year ago, it was less than a dollar, right? So yeah. So shockingly, I thought it was late at that time. 
I hear this all the time now where it's like, well, if you're coming in and Bitcoin still can't buy you a house, then you're still early. And like pe people anchor it to sort of like the fiat valuation of, of Bitcoin. But I guess if you look in terms of adoption, like maybe price wise, like you felt late then, but it was so niche in, in 2011. I, can, I don't think anybody can say that Bitcoin is is niche anymore when, yeah. it's, when it's in Reuters headlines like half the time. Yeah, in 2011, basically, I mean, I had, I was, I had high hopes for what Bitcoin can do, but it can easily just go to zero, right? It can easily just, like something goes wrong or the, the government bans it and it would just go to zero. Today, that's not likely at all, right? It's just like, I just can't imagine how it would just go to zero now. Um, so I'm actually more bullish today than I was back then. Because um, right now, like you said, Reuters recently just had an article about how um, Bitcoin is is the new gold, right? Bitcoin is doing well, gold is not doing well, and it's going to replace gold. If, um, and that's that's really surprising to see. And if you look at that, you look compare like the Bitcoin market cap with gold's market cap, so to speak, we're, we're nowhere near there yet. We're like 5% of gold's market cap. So if it actually becomes and replaces gold, there's still a 20x move in price. And some people are even more, more bullish about that. They think that Bitcoin is much better than gold. So it, it sh should actually be a lot higher in, in market cap than gold. So, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, nobody knows. If it becomes, it, people always speculated on Bitcoin becoming a global reserve currency, but it was always, you know, if you take this back like five, seven more years, that was as sort of like a joke to think like, oh, of course. And then when it's, you know, in every central bank's treasury and it's, you know, and now it just seems more realistic than ever. But now we have to be concerned about what are the motivations of state actors. People always worried whether Bitcoin would remain censorship resistant with this level of attention. And the the recent stuff that's happening with Bitcoin in terms of um, corporate adoption is really encouraging. The stuff around Bitcoin in terms of how governments are beginning to treat it, uh, maybe less so. And maybe now the existential threats have changed from like, it's there's no existential threat of no adoption, but now there's an existential threat in terms of how it's going to be treated by governments do you think is that something that concerns you when you take the long-term view on the next 10 years of, of bitcoin or litecoin or, or other established cryptocurrencies do you feel like the greatest remaining threats are, are not in terms of like adoption or understanding but the threats are from those kind of state level actors that might try to prevent its growth or co-opt it i'm not that concerned I think if you asked me like five years ago, I would be a lot more concerned that they could do something about it. But now like you have like big VC firms invest in all these Bitcoin companies and in Bitcoin itself, you have companies like MicroStrategy and Square actually putting like, uh, so like 50% for MicroStrategy and like 1% I think for Square in, in of their company treasury into Bitcoin. You see companies doing that. So the government can't, really like ban Bitcoin now without getting tons of pushback from people, right? So that's not going to happen. So I don't see them doing that. I think the only thing they can do is just regulate it very tightly. Um, just put pressure on the, the on and off ramps of fiat into crypto. And, I, and, and they've been doing that, but that's not going to like really kill or hurt Bitcoin in the long run, 
right? It could slow Bitcoin down a little bit, but yeah, I'm not really that concerned about that. So then, I mean, I'm really encouraged to hear you say that because it is something that concerns me a little bit. And the reason it concerns me is in my work on privacy and as a privacy advocate, usually the threat is you know, state level actors or, or even the corporations, you know, who don't tend to be great friends to privacy by and large, especially when it enables their own business models. So now let's talk privacy for a second, um, first as a principle and then as a product, because uh, privacy is coming to Litecoin. I want to talk with you more about Litecoin and more about why uh, you're exploring this as, as, as a feature. So I, I want to start by asking again on a personal basis, do you consider yourself a privacy advocate and if if you do or if you don't what does that term really mean in your mind what what is a privacy advocate and are you one hard to say i mean in some sense i think of privacy advocate as someone who like pushes for privacy wherever they go right so i'm not that right i think privacy is very important i think privacy is a is a right everyone should have and especially like we're working in the finance um space so financial privacy i think is really important I wouldn't want people to know um, my finances, right? So I think that's, unless I, I tell them, right? So I think financial privacy is very important and I, I'm an advocate for that, but I don't, it's not what I do day to day, right? Yeah, I, I understand that. And, and I have a similar definition for, for a privacy advocate, I guess. Maybe it's the word advocate that makes you think of a zealot, right? Someone yeah. who like privacy at all costs. Well, I, I, I think that there's always a cost to privacy, right? So that's what makes it hard for somebody to be like a privacy maximalist is, is really tough because everything always has trade-offs, either from a technical perspective or a cost perspective. But in, on my um, in this podcast's previous iteration, I had uh, Jameson Lopp on as a guest, and we talked quite a bit about privacy becoming sort of a luxury good and, and how expensive it is to actually maintain any semblance of privacy. Do you think that, do you agree with that? Is is privacy a, a luxury good now in a sense? Like, is it something that people have to pay for? And is it something that people seem to be willing to pay for? I think, unfortunately, that's true. I think we've given up a lot of our privacy over the past, like, decade. Um, and that's unfortunate, right? Like, with Facebook and Google basically knowing everything about our lives or trading away our or private or privacy for for kind of like free internet um so which is which is unfortunate so it's yeah it's definitely becoming kind of a luxury good and where you have to kind of do trade-offs and decide how much privacy you want so now let's talk specifically about litecoin because you are experimenting with adding privacy to litecoin i want to understand then like that decision because it's always a trade-off there's there's always something you're considering so first of all why is is privacy coming to litecoin why why was that something that was even considered and and who who is making that decision is it a community driven decision is it the foundation driven decision like where where did that come from and what what was the genesis of that thought the reason the main reason why we're looking to privacy for litecoin is is a matter of fungibility so Bitcoin and Litecoin are very good money in all aspects except for one, in my opinion, which is the fungibility aspect of it. So by fungibility, what I mean is every Litecoin should be 
indistinguishable from every other Litecoin, right? So um, the paper money is fungible. If you go to a store and you buy like a candy or a coffee, you can take out any $20 bill in your wallet. It doesn't matter which one you take out um, as long as they're, um, they're, it's real currency, it will be accepted, right? And with Bitcoin and with Litecoin, that's not the case today because there's history tied to a coin. You can send coins to Coinbase, for example, and they can potentially ban your account if the coins came from uh, a dark net market, for example. Um, so, or you send some coins to a friend to to return some money to him, like $5 worth of money, and they can see how much money you have because you sent from an output that is has a lot of a lot of coins in it. Um, so fungibility, I think, is missing. And in order to make Litecoin more fungible, we have to make um, Litecoin more private. And that's why we're working on privacy for Litecoin. So what form is privacy taking on Litecoin, like from a technical perspective now? And why was that direction taken over some of maybe the other technical approaches? Yeah, so like you said, there's always there's always trade-offs, right? If if privacy comes for, for free, then everyone will want to be more private. Um, but with with cryptocurrency, privacy comes at a cost of scalability. So for example, coins like Monero and Zcash, they're very private, but they're not very scalable because transactions are huge or you have to keep track of all the um, kind of unspent outputs in memory. And it's just not easy to do privacy. Um, the solution we are looking at right now is using a technology called Mimblewimble. What that has is confidential transactions, which means all the amounts are blinded. So when you send coins to someone, um, you and the re recipient knows how many coins, sorry. You, let me say it again. If you send coins to someone, you and the recipient knows how many coins you sent, but no one else can see um, the number of coins that you sent. But it's done in such a way where cryptographically, um, everyone can still prove that I didn't create coins out of thin air. Like I sent X number of coins to the recipient, they got it, and I'm I have X less coins. But no one knows what X is except for me and the recipient. And but they can still prove that I didn't create coins out of thin air, and that's confidential transactions. So Mimblewimble has that. Um, it also has ability where you can kind of throw away intermediate. Um, recipients. So if I send coins to you and then you send coins to to someone else, you send those coins to someone else, um, we can drop the two transactions where I send coins to you and send coins to someone else from kind of the blockchain and you can save space that way. And in the end, all that matters is I sent coins and the recipient got coins. It doesn't matter that it went through you. Um, that's just a kind of simple way of explaining it. But using that method, you can um, make the blockchain a lot smaller and help with scalability. Yeah, there's definitely seems to be uh, a, a lot of projects that are actually exploring that. I mean, how would you compare, or, or I guess instead of comparing, since this since Litecoin is clearly its own thing and, and obviously mm -hmm. a lot larger in a lot of senses, um, how do you think about the previous efforts that have been made to to utilize Mimblewimble in, in other active protocols? Because I think there's at least a few that have explored it. Yeah, the two main ones are Grin and Beam. The issue with those two coins, it's mainly because they're trying to create a new currency, right? They're, it's hard to create a new a new currency, right? So they're creating new currency. They have a new a new way of mining the coins. 
um, a new set of miners and there's security concerns if there are not enough miners mining the coin. So with Litecoin, we're coming from a space where we already have a very popular successful coin um, that is very secure. It dominates like the mining uh, network for, for script hash rate. And it's on pretty much all exchanges, right? Litecoin is traded everywhere. It has high liquidity. It's accepted in, um, by tons of merchants and basically used already. So I think coming from that point, we're just adding fungibility to it. It's a much easier change than to create a new successful coin out of nothing. Yeah, you, I mean, let's talk for a second about some of the network advantages that Litecoin has. So you you must know, I don't know if off the top of your head, but some of the numbers around Litecoin, because in terms of adoption, just its longevity gives it so many advantages. So what does adoption look like for Litecoin right now in term, or what do you think are the most appropriate metrics for measuring that adoption? Like what, what do you think is the most meaningful thing to quote to me here if you wanted to convince me that Litecoin was a dominant global cryptocurrency? Let's see. So, I mean, we've been, Litecoin has been around for nine years uh, nonstop, like uninterrupted network has been up and running for since October of 2011. And that's like longer than even Bitcoin or Ethereum can say. Like Bitcoin has has its share of, um, has like one downtime, for example. So Litecoin has been up for nine years. It's very reliable. It's on pretty much all the exchanges. I think that's very important. Liquidity is very high. Um, Liquidity is very important because if you want to get in and out of Litecoin, you don't want your buys or sells to actually move the market. Um, and so, for example, like if merchant is accepting Litecoin for for payment, they don't want like their their transaction to move the market price, right? So, liquidity is very important. Litecoin's uh, trading volume, like on a daily basis, exceeds its actual market cap. So. Last I checked, the market cap was like five billion dollars, and had like it has like six billion dollars of volume. So that's that's a very good sign. Um, very shows that Litecoin uh, is very healthy. Um, let's see what else. Over the years, it has moved um, like five hundred billion dollars worth of value. So that's just people sending Litecoins around. So five hundred billion dollars worth of value has been sent on the Litecoin network. Um, yeah, I think that's those are the few main things that shows that Litecoin is um, is working and it's very successful. I think the only other thing that we could look at then is when you take it down to the individual user level, how many individual people have, have touched a Litecoin, have traded a Litecoin. Th those are kind of impossible numbers to really know. You can back it out from the volume. You can back it out yep. from available liquidity. But in terms of getting global adoption, like actually having individuals using it and transacting with it or using it as a store of value seems to be critical. So let's let's talk briefly about. Uh, yeah, and I want to comment on that. It's it's yeah. really hard to know exactly how many people use Litecoin, and that's that's a good thing. Like if I can tell you exactly how many people are using Litecoin, then there's some problem with privacy and decentralization if that's the case. Yeah, t trust me, I, I have this struggle as well when people ask about secret network and adoption metrics. And it's like, well, I can show you the number of contract interactions. We can show you the total value locked. We can show you the deployed contracts. But the whole point is that I couldn't necessarily go back and say how many people are actually interacting with the network. It, it is, it's like pseudonymous at the at the individual address level. And then at the contract level, there's, you know, in 
there's a lot more protections that are enabled. So it, it makes it a challenging conversation because Litecoin, you can just kind of point to, you know, <laughs> all the ATMs that support it, let alone all the exchanges and everything else. Like it's uh it's definitely it's definitely established of, a global narrative. In terms of ATM adoption, it's the it's number two behind Bitcoin. Yeah, and that means something. I mean, that is that is real. Just be in terms of availability, right? So you, in some senses, you have much much less to prove. So you don't need to sort of tell that story about adoption. It's it's sort of obvious and front and center. On the other hand, you are still competitive with Bitcoin in a sense, uh, just because that's always what people are going to compare Litecoin to. Now, if you're going to be compared to any cryptocurrency in the world, that is the one that I would recommend being compared to. But it's still like something that you constantly have to live up to and and, and explain yourself in the context of, of that global narrative. And do, do you think that privacy then on Litecoin is, is a big differentiator from Bitcoin itself? Or do you think that Bitcoin is also going to have to look into as an ecosystem, adding these sorts of things? Do you think it's even possible at this point to add these sorts of innovations to Bitcoin as a protocol? It's a great question. So I, I do think... Privacy fungibility is a, is a differentiation factor for Litecoin after we've um, launched this and have it go live, um, and it's actually one of the first. It's actually the first time when I'm working on something that's taking Litecoin kind of on a separate path as Bitcoin. We've always been kind of following closely with Bitcoin and just doing everything, doing what Bitcoin does. Um, and that's that's been working out very well for Litecoin. So this is kind of a risky path that we're taking, kind of doing something different from Bitcoin. But I think it's it's important enough for us to do that. I think privacy fungibility is important for for sound money. And I do hope Bitcoin would do something about privacy and fungibility. And it's definitely happening on a second layer level. For example, like Lightning Network is more private and more fungible than um, base layer. And there are other things that are being built that are more private. Um, or for example, like Liquid is a um, is a side chain for Bitcoin. So if you move, so similarly, like you can move coins from Bitcoin to Liquid Network and it's more private. And for Litecoin, we can move coins from Litecoin to the Mimblewimble extension block and have it be more private. So that kind of interaction is similar. Um, so privacy is happening on Bitcoin, um, but we're just doing something a little bit different. We're trying to do it more on, on chain. At this stage, everything is sort of, you know, speculative and, and we're waiting to see what adoption of all these things look like. We're only just now seeing global adoption of the store of value narrative. And now we have to see some adoption of people understanding uh, whether Bitcoin or Litecoin or any other cryptocurrency can also be a privacy solution. Part of my messaging uh, has always been that blockchains are not designed to be privacy solutions. They're designed to be decentralized empowering you know good at correctness but certainly not at privacy the privacy sort of has to be added separately and when when that happens there's always a greater cost starting at public and making something private has a much higher cost than starting at private by default and then choosing what to make public and and th those costs are in you know are what have to be considered but you could also argue that it's the openness of bitcoin and litecoin that led to their growth in the first place and that openness was was a feature it was a feature of blockchain uh so so i don't know what what's your take on this thinking around because again you're talking about side chains here and extension blocks like what's your take on like privacy first or privacy by design versus 
these other solutions where where it's being added on later do you think there's weaknesses to to either model or are they or are they just really similar in your mind i think there's room for for both so um for like litecoin privacy is not is a opt-in feature right so the base the main chain is still public. It still works exactly the same way, right? So you'll still see all the Litecoin's movement. You'll see how many Litecoin's are there. You can count up the total number of Litecoin's to be 84 million. Um, but you can then move the, your Litecoin's to the extension block, what we're calling like MWeb, Mimblewimble extension block. If you move it to MWeb, then it's, it has confidential transactions, then it's more private. Um, so you can choose where you want, it, where you want your coins to be. Um, but then you have coins like, uh, for example, Monero, I think is um, a really good privacy coin where everything is private. There's no there's no opting in or opting out. You, you're bit by default private. Um, but with Monero, you're seeing like issues with with adoption, right? It's exchanges aren't supporting it because it's it's all private. And then the, the narrative is people only use Monero to to do illegal things, right? To buy illegal goods, and that's not good. It's hard for a currency to to survive or to to succeed in this current environment when it's been pigeonholed that way. So I think there's room for both kind of approach. And I don't think any either approach is definitely better than the other one. I think that's a really interesting point you're making that, again, like the privacy by design, privacy first model can be very powerful, but then there's a question of acceptance. And, you know, we've, we've been trying to split an interesting difference here because, you know, with Secret Network, we're not trying for it to be a currency so much as a platform. And as a platform, like, we're not actually like a privacy coin. The coin Secret itself is not a privacy coin. It's not a Monero. But the tokens you issue on Secret Network are privacy coins. So it's it's a it's a completely different model than trying to mm -hmm. say, like, we're a privacy coin by default. And I, and I think that even within this differentiation that you're saying, like there's the privacy by design model, there's the privacy by choice model. I think there's even more uh, flexibility in the design space than that. And I think we're going to continue to see protocols experimenting within that design space of privacy and decentralization before we see like what's actually going to get adopted. But I really like, you know, the MWeb model. I also really like the term MWeb. I think it's super catchy. <laughs> you should check out our, our logo. We have a very cool logo for MWeb too. <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm a sucker for good logos, <laughs> and I and I love the Litecoin logo too. What's not to love? Well, I, I want to close by asking again. Like, let's go back to where we started talking about you know the arc of the space in general, where we were in 2011, and now where we are today. We're recording in 2020. Hopefully, people are still listening to this in 2021 and beyond. So here we are in 2020. Bitcoin has just touched an all-time high. It's already surpassed its market capitalization all-time high. Remains to be seen whether we will hold this rarefied air, but things feel very meaningfully different. You have major investors talking about how it's a, a store of value comparable and, and in some cases better than gold. You have, as you mentioned, like Square, MicroStrategy dumping their treasuries into Bitcoin, not because it's a speculative position, but because they truly consider it to be a currency and a reserve currency. Um, and the latest news where we're recording now is around PayPal adding support for a number of different cryptocurrencies, including Litecoin. So what do you think is going to be the impact, let's say, uh, of specifically, let's start with the PayPal news because it impacts Litecoin as well. What impact can that have on retail adoption? Uh, 
and, and how is how do you think that's going to manifest first? What are, what are we going to see? Is there is there is there something you expect to see in the next months or or so that that we haven't seen ever before? I th- yeah, I think the PayPal news is huge for for Bitcoin and Litecoin. Um, the the thing is that it just opens up like crypto to hundreds of millions of new users, right? All the people who have PayPal accounts are now introduced to to crypto. Like when you log into PayPal now, the first thing you see is, um, do you want to buy Bitcoin or Litecoin? Or do you want to hold cryptocurrency? What is cryptocurrency? They have this whole section explained to people what it is. Um, so I think it's great for, for awareness. So people, more and more people are, are learning about Bitcoin and Litecoin and what crypto is all about. And that's great. And you'll see more people coming into this space. Obviously, that's good for the price. Um, but the other big thing about PayPal is next year, um, Venmo will will support crypto. That's what they said. They um, they're gonna have Venmo supporting crypto, and also they're gonna support crypto for for their merchants. For merchants to be able to accept Bitcoin and Litecoin for for payments, and I think that's huge for for retail adoption uh, to get like the merchant adoption and getting merchants to accept crypto. So that's gonna be very interesting. Venmo is a is a product that I feel all kinds of ways about because Venmo has that feed where you can see everybody else's transaction history, which I thought was one of the most incredible privacy violations of all time. <laughs> yeah, every Venmo transaction I send, I make sure it says private. There's like zero reason why anyone else should see what I'm sending. Yep, but but I guess for them it was like a growth hack. So I, I have mixed feelings about all of this adoption, but I think the most important point that we can agree on is just in terms of awareness and legitimacy, like people can come to their own conclusions. Some people will see all of this adoption and come to the same conclusion and think that it's all rat poison, like Buffett said so many years ago. Or it could be a college student now who's very familiar with you know, digital ecosystems, digital economies from the gaming world or elsewhere, seeing cryptocurrency, thinking it's the most natural thing in the world, thinking it's insane that people would only be you know, buying and selling stocks or shares of companies and not these like digitally native currencies, which seem to have like known inflation schedules, uh, you know, or, or allow for community governance and things like that. Like people will always come to their own conclusions, but they can't come to a conclusion about something that they haven't had access to. So I, I, I really do agree with you that the access is important. Yeah. And it's going to take some time for, for this shift, right. And in, in and people's kind of thinking about what is money, right? So fiat currency, fiat currency as we know it today has only been around for like, just been like 50 years or less. Um, and it takes like a generation or two for, for that shift to happen, right? It will be the new, the young generation coming, like growing up where Bitcoin already exists and they, all they know is like internet money. And they'll think fiat currency and gold is just, for their parents or grandparents. And that's what it takes for, for things to change. It won't happen like in a few years. It'll happen like in a decade. Well, it's going to happen one way or another. And maybe the last thing I'll ask you then is because it's a global store of value, right? We see different trends in China, different trends in the United States, different trends in Europe uh, or in Africa or in South America. The narrative really means different things in different places. Accessibility is different in different places. The government has different attitudes in different places. I'm becoming more and more convinced just based on our on our regulatory policies that a lot of the next wave of innovation will not originate in the United States. It will originate elsewhere. 
I guess my last major question to you, since we tend to be very U.S. centric focused, or I think I do, um, mm-hmm. where do you think growth is going to come from? Who is going to end up being the global leader on cryptocurrency? Is there a particular country? Is there a particular uh, type of person? Like where where is it going to where is it going to really be driven at this point? Or is it going to be like from the largest companies in the world? Like who who who's the leader? Where where are you going to see all this? I think it's just going to be global, right? There's not going to be one leader that's going to be pushing this. I think, um, and also different countries have different reasons for getting into Bitcoin. Um, so like countries like Venezuela would get into crypto because um, their fiat currency is getting hyperinflated away, right? So it's a good store of value. Um, in China, for example, people are have more of like a gambling mentality. So they're into crypto because they want to um, just make more money, right? And you see a bit of that in the US also, but uh, but you see more people trying to spend crypto in the US, right? There's more push for merchant adoption in the US. Um, there isn't that in, in China, for example. So different countries will adopt crypto for, for slightly different reasons. Um, and and that's fine. I think they have they see their own they see what they what's useful for them, right? So, um, but we'll see more adoption coming from like um, from companies putting their treasury into Bitcoin. That was something that I did not expect to kind of see so soon. Um, and when it started happening, I was kind of shocked that it is. Um, but then, in hindsight, it made a lot of sense, right? It's it's few years ago, putting money in crypto is risky. And this year and next year, more so next year, not putting money in crypto is going to be the risky move, right? Keeping your money in fiat is is going to be very risky. And I think that that shift in mentality is happening. And that's um, great to see. And I think before you know it, like countries will be putting their treasuries into cryptocurrency like they do with gold today. And I think that's kind of inevitable. And by then, you'll probably start seeing countries FOMOing into into Bitcoin and crypto. And that would be huge. That is going to be a really interesting milestone and goes back to where we started our conversation or, or at least where we got to in our conversation around around state actors. Let's that I think will be a good time to have another conversation when we finally see the first central banks really, really FOMOing into Bitcoin or Litecoin <laughs> for that matter. Because if you're going to be a central bank buying digital gold, you may as well buy digital silver. Uh, so I, I think at that point also we'll have more to talk about on the privacy side. The 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 MWeb stuff will, will have gone even further. So in the meantime, between now and then, is there anywhere that people listening can go if they want to keep track of all of these developments in the Litecoin ecosystem or with you personally? This is your open shill time. Anywhere you want people to go so they can kind of keep in touch with things that are going on. We're mostly on, on Twitter. Um, my Twitter account is Satoshi Light. Uh, so twitter.com slash Satoshi Light. And then Litecoin Foundation's um, Twitter account is LTC Foundation. Um, so you can follow both Satoshi Light and LTC Foundation. And I would be tweeting a lot about Mimblewimble. Uh, in the coming months, we are uh, doing a test net on it right now. We're getting the code reviewed um, and we're trying to get it out there uh, next year. So of course, it will take some time to get everything right. We don't want to launch something that 
um, that is broken or has bugs in it. And it also takes some time for miners to, um, to adopt it. So we'll, we'll have a soft fork, get miners to adopt it, and then get pushed out to the live network. So that's going to be very exciting when that happens. Okay. Well, that's a very big milestone to watch out for, and now you know where to watch out for it. So, Charlie, thank you again for taking all this time. Those were some great secrets. I think your perspective is super valuable because you just have more of it than almost anybody else. Uh, it's been a really successful decade in the space for you. I hope it's uh, multiple decades more that you can retain that success. Um, but it does seem like this field is absolutely here to stay. And I think a lot of that is thanks to the work that you and people like you have done. So thank you for taking the time today. And thank you for probably the last 10 years as well. <laughs> thanks a lot, Tor. I have a question for you before I leave, though. Okay. Did they name, did they name the Tor network after you? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's it's no coincidence, and uh, and to be honest, uh, it's it causes more confusion than in this space than anything else because um, people often confuse me with the network and, and they think that somehow I work for both and and the answer is no they only named, they they only named it after me that's the extent of the relationship. Yeah, it's it's a surprising coincidence though. That well, you're so into secrets and and with Tor being around. Yeah, it is a surprising and awesome coincidence, and I, all I can all I can think of is like you know, there's people who are named like John Baker, and they end up being incredible at making cakes, and you know, sometimes it's just serendipity, right? But sometimes I don't yeah. know, maybe it's something more magical at work. Who's to say? Yeah. Well, thank you for taking all the time, man. It was an absolute pleasure, and uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon. Cool. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you join us at Secret Network and become a part of our community of secret agents around the world who help push for the global adoption of open source privacy-centric technologies. You can learn more about the project at scrt.network, join our chat at chat.scrt.network, or you can find us on Twitter at Secret Network. Thank you for listening. I hope you join me the next time that we share secrets.